This is the Hear Me Out CC podcast, a place to hear stories from the deaf and hard of hearing people and from your host, Ahmed Khalifa. Even though I call myself deaf and I also call myself hard of hearing, there are still so many things I don't know about in the deaf community. And in this case, it's deaf with a capital D. If you don't know the difference, I'll put a link in the show note. You can learn more about the difference between small d deaf and capital D deaf. But in the deaf community, it has own culture, it has history, it has obviously its own language. And there are many people who are very proud of that. As if it's like a country, when someone who's patriotic about their own country, deaf people are like that with their own kind of history and their culture as well, especially those who are in the deaf community. And there are also a lot of politics that you can, you know, maybe argue with. Like, for example, are you part of it? Are you not? Should you be part of it? Should you not? That's a separate story. But I did learn a lot over the past year or so, and I read a lot of books and learned from other people and watching YouTube channels just to get a better understanding of the deaf culture history and the community but then they're also out there people who studied it and they did a phd on it as well so i wanted to find someone who can do that and who could tell me about that as well and i managed to find someone go by the name of donald grushkin and he is someone who had done a phd in this topic of deafness he's deaf himself he's profoundly deaf and his main language is asl American Sign Language. But he's someone who also does a lot of research and a lot of knowledge and shares that knowledge, especially on Quora, which is the question and answer platform. People ask questions and he answers it. And it's his way of kind of spreading his knowledge and sharing his knowledge so that people don't get the wrong perception about the deaf community. Now, Professor Donald Grushkin, he currently works at the California State University in Sacramento and he is a researcher and he focuses on the aspect of deafhood, specifically around history, community and culture. And he also looks at the whole area of hard of hearing people within the deaf culture as well. But he's an expert, he knows what he's talking about and this is his topic and he's done his PhD in language reading and culture in the University of Arizona. So I reached out to him just to kind of, as you say, pick your brain. And I just wanted to discuss him about that, how to get into it, and just to learn a bit more about himself. So this is where I reached out to him, and we had an interview, obviously by email, because he is profoundly deaf. So I asked him a question, and he replied by email, and he has been very, very kind to do that for me. So, Professor, I appreciate it, and I really want to thank you for doing that. So the first question I ask Professor Donald is about his background. And I ask him about, you know, his background around the deaf journey, his upbringing, the challenges that he has faced along the way in terms of, you know, any challenges that he has faced growing up and certain environments, certain situation. And this is what he said in his response, quote, Wow, you want me to give my whole life story in what, an hour's time? I'll try. I was born deaf in the mid-1960s. This was during the last great rubella, which is German measles, the epidemic. When my mother found out she was pregnant with me, she got a shot of gamma globulin, 
sounds like a, a great name for a, a villain in Incredible Hulk battle, doesn't it? And this was a shot that helped to fight against the disease, but apparently that was too late. She already gotten it, and I was born deaf as a result. So, note to the anti-vaxxers out there, keep on doing what you're doing. You're just making more of us propelling our grand plan to take over the world. <laughs> My parents are hearing and didn't know what to do. After a lot of doctor shopping, they finally found one that would confirm I'm deaf. Then they were referred to the John Tracy Clinic, which is a famous oralism-focused program based in LA. Now, the John Tracy Clinic, or JTC, convinced my parents that I would be able to learn to speak orally, and that was just fine with my parents. They were determined that I would not sign and be deaf. So, with a lot of rigorous, time-intensive, and torturous training, I did somehow learn to speak orally. I should say that I was, and I'm, a rarity. Despite what the oralist will tell you, deaf people who successfully learn to speak orally are in a small minority, maybe 5-10% to 10% manage this. Most others only partially acquire this skill, and many others don't succeed at all. Being oral, not signing, and deaf, I also had to learn to lip-read. And again, despite what you may have been told, this is a highly unreliable, difficult skill that only works in a one-on-one -on -one situation, if that. For every additional person in the conversation, the difficulty increases exponentially, and it's almost a foregone conclusion that the deaf person will end up lost in the conversation. So around my family, at school, with the hearing kids, after my oral preschool program, I didn't attend a school for the deaf until I was 13, and around my neighbourhood, I was basically isolated. Few friends, not really part of any group. My middle school years were hell. We moved to a new school and I was the brunt of what we would probably call bullying today. Bullying that pretty much only occurred because I'm deaf. After two years of that hell, I finally had enough and told my parents I wanted to go to a school for the deaf where if I were to be bullied, it would be because of who I was, not because of an external factor I couldn't control. They still didn't want me to become deaf. They were afraid I'd lose my speech and enter the deaf ghetto. And all the other oralist canards, the JTC and oral programs, fed them. But they knew I wasn't happy and let me go to the model school, secondary school for deaf in Washington, D.C., that was the best thing they ever did for me. At MSSD and later Gallaudet, I made friends thrive and learned to be proud to be deaf instead of ashamed of it, like I had been all these years in the hearing world. And those experiences have made me the man I am today. I advocate for the right of all deaf children to sign and have access to their deaf heritage because I don't want future generations of deaf kids to suffer like I and so many others of us have." End quote. 
there's a lot of things in that story I resonate with in terms of the isolation. You feel like you don't belong somewhere. Because I feel like the same thing. I feel like I'm in that in-between area of the deaf and hearing words. I'm an in-betweener, as some people will say. And it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard because nobody would get it. And I guess Professor Donald, who was in the same situation, probably even worse than me because he was completely in that hearing world when really in hindsight, he should have probably been in the deaf environment from the beginning. But at the same time, you can't really blame the parents sometimes, especially if they are not familiar with the deaf community, the history, what goes on there and how people benefit from having access to sign language. They just follow the advice of a doctor who is, again, maybe not the best person to advise because they just said you need to be oral to succeed in life. If you have sign language and you're not oral, then you're going to fall behind. And I think I've learned that very quickly over time that it's definitely not the case. And it just shows in Professor Donald's situation that in hindsight, maybe he should have been in the beginning going to a deaf university school college first but it has given him that experience and now he is pretty much an advocate to give all deaf children the right to have access to the deaf heritage which is pretty cool so the next part of the question i talked to professor donald was about how i imagine the parents are afraid and i'm guessing because they did not have a lot of experience being around deaf people they assumed that going for the oral focus program was best so it must have been difficult for the parents to work out what is best for Professor Donald when he was a child. So I asked him a question of what point did he start learning ASL and did his close family and friends learn it too to communicate with him at all or did they just focus on oral communications and that's it. And this is what Professor Donald said, quote, that's right, they never met a deaf person before me. My family is all hearing. So all doctors and experts told them that oralism was possible and the way to go and they use every trick in the book to get parents to go with what they know which is hearing and speech because that is what is easiest for the parents. Make the kid to do all the work of communication while parents and family members basically don't need to change anything they do. Even though in reality, this is the hardest and least successful approach for a deaf person because it forces them to rely on their weakest sense and ability, hearing. They don't really tell blind kids to rely on their sights, do they? No, they're given braille and seeing eye dogs and the likes. Yet with deaf kids, it's so routine to force them to be what they are not, hearing. So I learned ASL starting when I was 13, when I entered MSSD. Actually, I got a tutor to teach me sign a bit before that, but she more or less taught me signed English, which is not the same as ASL, and was pretty useless for going to school at MSSD, where most of the kids spoke ASL. My family never really learned to sign. I tried to get them to, and really tried hard but they always resisted. I think my speech was too good so to them there was no issue. They could understand me just fine. Who cares if I'm not really understanding them? 
my mom did take a sign course or two, usually sign English classes in a community center or something, but not much of it really stuck with her. My older brother learned fingerspelling in Boy Scouts and would sometimes use it, but for the most part, it's just oral communication, which puts me at the disadvantage every time. I've given up at this point on trying to get them to learn to sign, but I've learned to limit my exposure, the soul-sucking experience that is a hearing family that doesn't sign. I don't visit with them very often, and that's the kind of relationship many of us from hearing families that don't sign have. Oralism claims to help deaf kids become a more integral part of a family, but in reality, the result is usually the exact opposite. End quote. And this is so powerful. I can understand again, but this is not something that I'll be able to resonate with because I can hear my family. I was part of a family and in that environment at home, it was easy enough for me to be part of that family. But then it's a different story outside the house when you are in a noisy environment. That's a separate story. But for Professor Donald, he tried and tried and it's almost like he was against, not against the system, but he was fighting against the system just to make it aware to everyone, especially his family, that him being a pretend hearing is not the best way for anyone. Nobody wins. And because the parents will have to work for that to to learn to sign and they have to work harder for that, well then maybe it's just a bit too much of an effort. And again, they didn't know that. They just followed the advice of what the doctors have said to them. And for a lot of people, you just follow the advice that you're given because you think that they're the experts. But it's quite clear from his experience that they don't know what is the best for a deaf child. Because especially if, if that person is a hearing doctor, then it's even more difficult for them to understand. For me, sometimes I struggle to listen to all the advices that audiologists give me because they don't truly know what you go through in a day-to-day basis. Of course, they're important for certain things and I rely on them, but for certain things, they just don't always get it unless they are deaf or hard of hearing themselves. So I found that really, really interesting from Professor Donald. Along the way, it's obvious that he has fully embraced his deaf identity and then predominantly used ASL. But as I said in the beginning, he also made it part of his academic journey too and he had a PhD in the topic. So I asked him a question about his PhD and how he made it part of his acad- academic background, the, the deaf hood area. And why did you decide to do that? Why did he want to do that? And what did he hope to get from that? And this is his response, quote. First, I just want to say that I have a problem with using the word use in connection with sign language. Part of the problem with the devaluation of sign language by these experts and lay people as well is that they view sign language as a tool, something to be chosen at one's discretion. If a tool doesn't work, then they just choose a different one. And what is it that we do with tools? We use them. Yes, languages are a tool of the human species, but all too often the experts and the oralists focus on speech, which is a modality, not a language. And what all human needs is a language, which occurs in a variety of modalities. 
So I prefer to say we speak ASL or BSL or whatever because when we sign, we are speaking. We're just not doing it auditorily. If we can get this to spread, I think it will go a long way towards helping resolve this problem. And don't give me any guff about the dictionaries defining speak as being vocal. Remember, who writes the dictionaries? Hearing people who are limited by their hearing perception of the word. Anyway, how I ended up getting a PhD? That's a whole story in itself. I graduated, I graduated high school at 16, partly because I skipped a year to go to MSSD from my middle school and then I finished my high school program in three years. So I graduated from college when I was 20. Being that young, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I majored in psychology, it was either that or English, and what can you really do with an English degree? So one of my good friends, someone who I'm still in touch with, who was also a psych major, persuaded me to enroll in the school psychology program at the Gallaudet. So I thought I'd use that degree to help other deaf kids who were struggling with mainstreaming like I had been. Well, I never actually ended up working at any public schools. I worked at three schools for the deaf in four years, which are in Virginia, Boston, and New York. In Virginia, I worked there only one year because that school had formerly been the black school for the deaf in Virginia. And the legacy of racism and miseducation was still very strong there, and I didn't like what I was seeing. So then I went to a small school near Boston that was at that time officially total communication, meaning they said they supported signing and speech, but in reality, it was more oralist focused and was very oddest, although at that time I didn't know that word. They didn't like my support for ASL and chose not to renew my contract for the following year. So then I worked at the Lexington School for the Deaf in New York in their mental health clinic. I liked it there, but I was feeling dissatisfied with my work as a psychologist. I really wasn't a very good psychologist. Maybe I was too young for it. So I started thinking about doing a doctoral degree, something my family encouraged me. But in what? I got some colleague catalogues and started looking at the different programs they offered. And then I saw one that piqued my interest in bilingual education. This was the early 90s when Bye Bye, which is bilingual slash bicultural education for the deaf, was a new idea. But all the bilingual ed programs were focused in hearing students. Then I went to a workshop hosted by Dr. Sam Sepala from the University of Arizona and during the break, I asked him for advice on where I could go to study bye-bye. He said there was no program that did that at the U of A. I could enroll in their language reading and culture program, which offered a track in bilingual education. Whilst also taking a coursework in Sam Supala's Deaf Studies program. Well, that was it for me. I applied to U of A and was accepted that year. I enrolled with the intention of getting a degree in educational administration. During my first semester, I found out that even if I did get an education degree in admin, I still wouldn't be able to get certification as an 
educational administrator because you have to have been a teacher first. My four years in, in the schools as a school psychologist didn't count. Well, I didn't want to go back and get a teaching degree and work as a teacher for several years. That was a step backwards to me. So I decided to shift focus and get a PhD in bilingual education and minored in linguistics, cultural anthropology. And that was it for me. I'm very happy and satisfied in this field, teaching deaf studies and in my small way trying to influence people to understand deaf people and what we really need and want. But I do have to say that even though I took some missteps, it was all valuable experience for me, which helped me to gain insights to the issues which I still use today. Even so, I try to encourage my students to do their homeworks and really check out their future careers before they start doing it, just so they know what they're getting themselves into and understand how much time and work and money it will take them to get to where they want to go. End quote. This conversation I've learned a lot. For example, he talks about from an anthropological perspective about how sign language should be seen as a language, not as a tool. They speak sign language, not use sign language. And that's something I find very, very interesting and it makes sense to me. You know, it's the fact that I use the word use was clearly the wrong way and you know people think that using the word speak sign language is wrong as well but then it makes sense when you hear it from his perspective especially because it's a primary language for many people it's not a tool as such in the way that people think about it it's a language so i found the journey very very interesting and he explained all the missteps as he said along the way and you learn from that and i think we all learn from missteps along the way I did ask him in the next part, I asked him what did he do his PhD research in. And then I also moved on to his interest in using Quora. And that's the first time I've heard about him. That's the first time I've seen him because he is quite prominent there. And he answers questions and shared knowledge. And uh, even though I asked myself to use it more, it's just, you know, there's so many places that you can be. And Quora at this moment in time wasn't my primary focus. So... I also asked him alongside the PhD question is, why did he decide to use Quora and what has he learned from it as well? And this is his reply, quote, I'm glad you're receptive to saying speak instead of use in connection with sign language. You'd be surprised how many people are resistant to changing their perception and going against the established way of doing things and saying things just because deaf people too. It's not just hearing people, it's deaf people too. So my doctoral dissertation was titled, are you ready for it? Academic, Linguistic, Social and Identity Development in Hard of Hearing Adolescents Educated Within an ASL English Bilingual Bicultural Educational Setting for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Students. I know, I know, quite a mouthful. One of my dissertation committee members sort of joked during my defense that if a dissertation title can't be read in one breath, it's too long. He was more or less right. If I had to do it all over again, it would probably be something like bye-bye is for hard of hearing folks too. Anyway, as for Quora, I'd actually never heard of it and 
probably still wouldn't have if it weren't for another friend of mine from MSSD, Michael Westfall, who is fairly active on Quora. She'd been on it for a little while and was frustrated with the autism and resistance to her death-centric views she saw on Quora and wanted some backup. She knows I shared a lot of her death-centric perspective. I initially joined just to help upvote some answers she'd written on autism or something, but as I look around on, on Quora, I saw questions about ASL and sign language linguistic and deaf culture and the likes. I definitely have the academic and experiential knowledge to share. So I started answering questions that I have come to appreciate and enjoy the few deaf-centric folks who have also joined Quora, and there are a few more of us than there were in the beginning, they have also contributed as well. What have I learned from Quora? Well, I guess what I've learned is that the autism of hearing people is like the Night's King undead army attacking Winterfell in Game of Thrones. It doesn't matter how many you kill, there are thousands more coming at you. Quora questions are like that. I've already answered questions like, in what language do deaf people think in? And also, what makes sign language a language? Several times over and still, every day, I get more requests to answer questions along the same theme. It's just so frustrating and annoying. I don't mind answering questions and helping people to get over their oddest frameworks. But when people don't take a little time to check if such a basic question had already been asked, it is disheartening and soul-sapping to see just how many people out there who are just can't even begin to conceptualize how deaf people are just as human as they are and how we can live and exist just like they do, which we do in a different language and sensory orientation. That's all. End quote. I hear you, Donald. I, I hear what you're saying. I do get the impression that you spend a lot of time answering very basic questions, it seems, over and over again. And, uh, I mean, the only argument I would have against that is I think it exists in many industries. The same problem exists where people ask the basic questions over and over again. But if it's something about you as a person, if your identity and it's personal to you, then I think it's a different story compared to, you know, talking about your industry where you're working in a job and, uh, you know, people have a perception about that industry and you want to defend that. But once it's about you as a person, I think I can understand how it is different to feel like you are being just disheartened and sometimes pushed aside and not doing the basic thing like checking if the question has been answered. So it's about your identity, it's about your life, and uh, yeah, I understand that for Professor Donald, it's, it's a great way to spread awareness and take control of any perception that people may have. And I guess, you know, I don't really watch Game of the Thrones, yes, shock horror, I have no watched it, but when he says thousands more coming to you, I understand that. I, I can understand what he means by that. It's just never-ending onslaught of questions. And when I ask him about that, he says, yes, take control of perception and spread awareness. I've been doing this in various ways for quite a while. I had a website, 
I did Dr. Don G's Death Hood Discourses, which unfortunately got infected with malware and I couldn't fix it. I've got my YouTube channel under my name, which has some content from the website and a Facebook page. So Quora is a continuation of that in a different format, end quote, which makes sense, which makes a lot of sense as well. So I wanted to just run things up because I can talk to them forever and I wanted to learn more, but you know, maybe that's going to be for another podcast episode. We'll see about that. But I asked him the roundup questions that I tend to ask a few people. And the first question I asked him is, what's the worst thing people have said to you about your deaf identity? And his reply is, quote, that I'm too deaf, that I'm too proud of something they view as a disability or not as a linguistic and cultural group, and that I am militant in my positions on deaf issues, end quote. Wow, <laughs> I, I never, who thought, who would have thought that you, people would be criticizing you for just protecting your identity? That's what it is. Anyway, my next question to Professor Donald was, what's the worst thing about being deaf and what's the best thing about being deaf? And he, he answered, quote, the worst thing about being deaf are the barriers to communication, employment, language, education that hearing people create for deaf people. The issues faced by deaf people are entirely preventable and all hearing made. The best thing about being deaf is being part of a linguistic and cultural minority where even if you have never met a num- another member of that group, you feel a bond, you feel a connection to that person and you can recognize them as one of us, end quote. I, I find that quite true actually because when I attended a few events which had deaf people and, uh, and you know, they actually using sign language and I, you know, communicated with them with sign language and I did understand that. Actually. I do understand you do get that connection. So that makes a lot of sense and I like the way you say just, you know what, we're facing the same battle and we are together in this and we are almost immediately friends, which is quite cool. The next question I asked Professor Donald is, what advice do you have for hearing people when they are around deaf people, whether it's small d deaf or capital D deaf? And this is his response, quote, be open to and accepting of deaf people as they are. Don't try to force him to be like you. If you want to communicate with a deaf person, do it in ways that establishes communication is on an even level that does not force a deaf person to take on all the burden of communicating. Don't force us to try to liberate you. Take out a pen and paper instead, or use your cell phones to type text instead. Or even better, learn to fingerspell or even to sign." End quote. Yep, I'm, I'm with him and all of that. You know, sometimes I feel like people force me to work extra hard to keep up with the conversation. And even if I explain to them, this is what I need and this is how I'm struggling with, could you do it this way? I still get the impression that they, one, either can't be bothered or they do it and then they forgot and then they just get into the, you know, rhythm of like not doing it. And I understand what Professor Donald is saying. It's actually quite interesting. The last question that I have asked 
the professor is, what advice do you have for anyone who is deaf and wants to make the most out of their academic lives and their general lives as well? And this is his answer, quote, don't accept limitations that hearing people place on you, telling you you can't. Figure out what would work for you to help you accomplish what you want and tell the hearing people this is what you need to make it happen. Use the available laws and resources to force the changes you need and make them happen. It's not always easy, but you're human and it is your right to seek fulfillment as a human being in all ways. Beautiful. I think that's beautiful. You can tell that Professor Donald Grushkin has a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge to share, and he is someone that you can learn a lot from just by even looking on his Quora profile or just even connecting with him. And speaking of which, the very last question I ask him is, where is the best place that people can reach or to connect with him online? And uh, he has offered to provide his email address. So people, quote, people can always contact me at my work email, which is Grushkin. G-R-U-S-H-K-I-N at C-S-U-S dot E-D-U. Facebook Messenger or through my Facebook page is another possibility. But unfortunately, messages from contacts I don't personally know tend to get hidden until I inadvertently stumble upon them some years later. So I'll make sure I'll, I'll you know, put his email address in the show notes and I'll also put in his quarter profile as well, just so you can learn more from his perspective. And uh, I think it'd be very, very useful as well. So, so Professor Donald Grushkin, I just want to say thank you for your time, for being detailed with your answer in the email, for sharing your knowledge. And I really, really appreciate it. And I hope to connect with him as well. And for you listeners, or if you're reading the transcript, I hope you enjoyed it as well. I hope you found it useful. Let me know what you think and I would also really appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes. That would be really, really awesome. It helps to kind of spread that awareness even more as well. And I think that's an important thing to do. Thank you for listening or reading. And in the meantime, hopefully I'll see you another time again soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Hear Me Out CC podcast. Courtesy of hearmeoutcc.com.